Welcome to the Real Life Fitness Stories podcast. I'm your host, Scott Roberts. Stick around for inspiring real-life stories of incredible resilience and achievement. Thank you for listening. Let's be inspired. Hello, everyone. Welcome to an episode of Real Life Fitness Stories podcast. Really excited to introduce our next guest to you. It is the amazing Abby Rowland. Abby, how are you? I'm good. Are you? Yeah, very well. Thank you for coming on and joining us. Oh, you're welcome. So can you just give our listeners a very brief introduction into who you are and what you do? Yes. So I was a personal trainer for four years and I've recently gone on to being an online coach. So I've been an online coach for about, I'd say about five months now, just coaching women, mainly with weight training, uh, becoming stronger, helping them mentally as, as well as physically. Well, good. How have you found the transition from personal training to online? Um, it was a bit difficult at first because I'm very much a people person and I like to be around people. So the adjustment was a bit daunting, but I really enjoy it now. There's more freedom and I feel like I've got more time to support people because when you're a personal trainer, you're working from like 6am till sometimes 8pm and it's difficult to support clients outside of the gym. So I feel like I've got more time to, to constantly be there for my clients. So yeah. Yes, that's like personal training is great. You have that face-to-face contact with everyone. Yeah. But Sean, if you are a busy personal trainer and you're spending all that time on the gym floor, you can't actually give certain clients who need a particular kind of support away from it. Yeah. You're kind of neglecting that side of things a little bit, aren't you? Yeah, exactly. Cool. Right. Well, let's get down to it. So Abby has very kindly come on to talk about her journey from a six-year battle with bulimia to now building a successful personal training and online coaching business. So Abby, can we begin by going back to the start of that six-year period and just give us an idea of how life looked for you then? Um, yeah, so I mean, it's, people always ask me when did it start and, and what triggered it, and I always find it quite difficult because I I don't think there was anything specifically that, that triggered it. I know that it started round about the time that I finished uni, so I went to uni quite late. So I was 21 when I started uni, and then so I left when I was 23, and that's when things started to go downhill. Um, I think I felt a bit lost. I felt I didn't know what to do with my life. Um, I was quite lonely, and it suddenly that the, the bulimia started to become just at first it became part of my life. Like I, I wasn't accepting it was a problem. Um, it started very gradually, but again, like nobody made a comment about my weight. Nobody, people think that it's, it's people that don't understand it's a mental illness might think that it's a need to be skinny. It's a need to look skinny. It's a need to look like a model. It wasn't that for me. It was, it was definitely a mental thing where I felt like I was finally in control of something in my life. It felt like I was in control of something. I know that sounds bizarre, but that's how it felt and it just it just became a lifestyle and I never I didn't think it was a problem until about maybe four years in does that make that that makes complete sense when you say it kind of become a lifestyle what exactly do you mean by that how 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 did that lifestyle look it just it was just a part of my life it was part of my everyday life I didn't see it as being a problem I just 
I just did it. I had the urge to do it every single day. Um, and yeah, it did make me feel depressed. It was a vicious cycle. I couldn't stop doing it. And then the next morning, I would feel horrendous because I'd done it again. But then I would do it again in the evening. It was very much an evening thing. Um, so yeah, it was very dark. I was very depressed. Um, my hair started falling out. My, my teeth were bad. Um, I was cold all the time. But I just kept doing it. And it's not the sort of thing where, you know, my, my friends back then, some of my friends who didn't understand it would say, like, just stop doing it, Abby, just stop doing it. It's not, it's like telling somebody, stop having cancer. It's not that easy. You need to, you need to be helped. You need, you need medical help and professional help. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it wasn't a good time. Yes. You mentioned your friends there. I'm, at, I'm probably going to jump forwards a bit to one of my uh, questions a bit further down the line. But your friends then are any of them in your life now? Yeah, they are. They're they're my closest friends. Um... So obviously they see you where you're at now. Yeah. What do they say about it? Kind of that person you was and how you was acting and kind of how how you was responding to their advice, if you want to call it advice, to who you are now and who they see in front of you. Yeah, I'd like they they didn't know that I had it until I seeked help um after six years. The comments that they made to me were things like, you're looking really skinny. Um they knew I had a problem, but they didn't really want to address it. So they would say things like, why don't you just eat more? Why don't you see that you're too skinny? They would say things like that. Um but I think they they were being very sensitive about it they didn't want to say i'll be like we definitely think you've got a problem um what was the question sorry about about them i suppose just i suppose their thoughts on who who you are and how you've changed uh, yeah i suppose when when you are in such a low position you could potentially lose some of those friends yeah because you may push them away for whatever reason or yeah they've maybe walked away because the friendship was potentially too much hassle or whatever. Yeah. I mean, they're obviously good friends because they are still around. I'm just wondering their thoughts, I suppose, and, and what they say about you back then. I think now they're, they're super proud of me. They're really, really proud of how far I've come and how I've recovered and that I'm strong now. Um, they they have been there for me since day one. I'm going to get emotional now, and I've not got emotional in ages. Sorry. No, no, that's fine. Uh, um, yeah, so they they were there for me from day one, but I, I just think they didn't want to say that it was an issue because they didn't want to offend me. Um, but now, yeah, now they're just really proud of me. I, I don't think it ruined the friendship because cause they loved me and they knew it was a problem, but until you address a problem yourself, you're not going to get help. You're, you're not going to be helped unless you accept you've got an issue. That's why I push people to, if you think you've got an issue, if you've got a bad relationship with food, if you suspect you've, you've got something like that, seek help. It's not shameful. It's not something that's pathetic or tragic. It's not your fault that you've got it. The sooner you seek help, the sooner you're going to nip that in the bud. Yeah, and I suppose, especially in our industry, we see people seeking help too far down the line. Uh, yeah. Whether it's weight loss issues, 
um, mental health issues. I suppose when you're in it, one, you don't actually appreciate how big the problem is. Um, yeah. The problem as such just becomes normal life, so you live with it. Yeah. And there comes a point where kind of enough is enough. Yeah. And I suppose that's when people finally reach out to us and kind of make our lives harder a little bit because we've got a lot to reverse then. Yeah. What was the catalyst for you saying, right, enough is enough, I'm, I'm going to reach out for help and to, I'm ready to accept help, I suppose, the most important thing. Yeah, I, I think it was the um, the ending of my relationship because um, at the same time I was in a relationship that was that was quite emotionally abusive and I think that didn't help um, my condition because I didn't feel like I could seek help from him because of the way he was. So I just continued to live and have that disorder until till I ended my relationship with him and I thought, right, I need to focus on me now. Um, and I went to the GP um, and I said, I said, look, I think I've got, I think I've got a problem. And I just burst into tears straight away. And this is, this is another thing I want to tell people. It seems very, very scary to go to a GP, to go to somebody who you don't know, to admit that you might need help. But for me, it was actually easier to tell a GP than my friends because I didn't feel I, like I was worried about what my friends would think. I, I was worried that my friends would think, why have you lied to us for so long? Why haven't you told us sooner that you needed help? But with a GP, there was no judgment. She didn't know me. And yeah, I just broke down in front of her. That's when I realized I've definitely, definitely got a problem. And she, she was incredible. She, she told me the, the effects it has on your health. Um, I knew that anyway, but it was a bit of a wake up call. Um, and then I was put on medication straight away. And that's another thing people say, no, what is it? Yeah. I, I don't condone people taking medication for everything. Like doctors tend to just throw tablets at, at people for stress, anxiety, depression. I think there are other alternatives to try before you go that far. But with something like a mental illness, particularly an eating disorder, you do need medication because I couldn't believe how much it helped me within three weeks. It was like something in my brain just gradually dissolved and I didn't have the urge to turn my cat, sorry. Um, I didn't have the the urge to to do it anymore. It was really, really strange. It wasn't like it didn't switch off like that. It was gradual, but eventually I started to feel better and eventually I didn't have the urge to to binge and do what I was doing. When when you had that initial meeting with your GP, um although there was probably no solution said right there, did you is that when you first saw like a light at the end of the tunnel as such? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And that's when I also felt like I could truly tell my friends exactly what I had, even though, like I said, they knew that I had issues. But I felt safer telling my friends, knowing that I'd seek help first. And they were incredible. They were incredible. Pe people are, are so much nicer than you think when it comes to things like that, because you feel so ashamed of yourself, especially because I hid it for so long. Um. It was a big weight off my shoulder, massively. Yeah, and I suppose that's the benefit of why people go to therapy as well, because very often people find it easier to just open up to a complete stranger. Yeah. 
blur out whatever they want to blur out. Yeah. One, there isn't that judgment there. And I suppose you don't have to worry about what you're saying to offend those close to you, whether it's your parents or your best friends. You can just say what you need to say. Yeah, exactly. This is it. This is it. It does seem scary telling a stranger something like that, but it's, yeah, it was the best thing I ever did. And then I got a coach as well, and, and he was incredible. He knew about my condition. Um, so I think the sooner you start accepting help around you, the better. Because I had a big support system from my friends, from my GP, from my coach, and things just gradually got better and better and better for me. It's not shameful to seek help. It really isn't. You shouldn't have to battle something like that on your own. We'll cover the coach bit in a minute. Just going back to when your friends were saying like, oh, you're skinny or saying things along them lines. How yeah. did you react to that? Were you kind of thinking, oh, thank you, or oh, I need to cover this up? Yeah, I mean, when I say friends, it wasn't all friends. Like my, my two closest girlfriends, they never made comments like that to me. I think they're a bit more sensitive. It was a couple of the lads that, that used to say it to me. Um, but the problem with that was, I think when I started doing that and, and the weight started dropping off me, I would get comments from from those friends saying, oh, you're losing weight. But when it started, it it was it was comments like, oh, you look great. You look, you look really good. You look, you're looking, um, you're looking really good, and that sort of that that was that that was not good, um, because it made me want to keep doing it, and I thought it was okay to do it. I saw it as a way of losing weight, but it, it was obviously a, a problem. But yeah, you've got to be careful with comments like that. You've got to be very, very careful. Um, you know, people people don't think that they. No. One, they don't think, and two, they probably just don't know what to say. No. Sometimes it obviously comes across as insensitive or, or probably the wrong thing to say. But yeah, they're probably just not, not even thinking, are they? No, this is it. I mean, people are quick. People think it's okay to say to an overweight person, you know, you need to go on a diet. It's not good for your health. It's so much easier to say that to somebody who's overweight, but they think they think it's fine to say to somebody, oh, you, you know, you really need to eat a burger. Or something that's not nice like skinny shaming somebody is just as bad as fat shaming somebody because you have no idea what's really going on so we'll get to the coach just before you signed up with the coach did you have a history of trade obviously you're in the industry now but did you have a history of working out and going to the gym or whatever before this time well, yeah, cardio. I was I was addicted to cardio. You know, when I when I didn't um, when I didn't make myself ill with bulimia, whatever I did eat, I would go to the gym and just, I just want to burn it off. I would just get on the treadmill and I would spend hours on the treadmill. So yeah, the the gym to me was just cardio, going straight past the weights. I I just wasn't interested. I I was the person that thought weights make you bulky weights will automatically make you big if you're a woman i it was for me it was just burn off what i what i eat the gym for me was a punishment so yeah in terms of a history of training that was my training history i didn't i never trained as such yeah and it's it's why them images you see on social media like if you eat this you need to burn x amount of calories they're just so dangerous yeah for that exact reason yeah you're especially when it's we're talking about a poor relationship with food. You're then just thinking, right, I need to go and burn this off. Mm. 
Like if, if all you've had is one burger all day, you've actually under eaten. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So let, let's get to the coach. At, at what point in your recovery as such did you then sign up with the coach? Um, I think it was within about three months when things were starting to get better. Um, when I was having therapy and I'd been on meds for a good few months, that's when I reached out to Josh. Um, and I say it to him all the time. He he was just incredible. He was dead patient with me because I still had that body dysmorphia. Um, because he put me on higher calories, obviously, for weight training. And I used to say to him, "Look, I'm scared. I'm I'm scared. I'm gonna get I'm gonna gain fat. I'm gonna gain fat." And he was very very patient with me. Um, but if it wasn't for him. I probably wouldn't be where I am today in terms of weight training because he made me realize that, God, I can I can actually eat and train and not look fat. And that's what I thought was going to happen. Because in a way, it's a bit of a, not a dangerous situation. It's, it's a difficult situation for him to be in because a lot of the help you probably needed at the time was kind of out of his scope of practice. Regardless yeah. Of so how did them initial how did those initial conversations go was it just being very patient this is what we're trying to achieve this is how we're going to do it and we're going to take our time with it yeah he was he was super patient he wasn't he wasn't a bully saying you know abby you've got to eat this amount stop gaining fat he was very whenever i messaged him and i said you know i feel really fat today he was very very kind about it i think he understood he knew it was in my head but he never made me feel stupid for making those comments. I think he knew that if I trusted him and I trusted the process, eventually I would see the light, and I did. Um, and it was a gradual increase of calories. He didn't put me in a massive surplus straight away because that would have been like a disaster probably if I'd gained a massive amount of weight too quick. Um, so, yeah, the initial conversation with him was was fine because I'd already spoken to my GP about it. I spoke to my friends about it. I was quite open about it by then. Um, I wouldn't have told him about it before seeking help. Like, not a chance. It's just reminded me of an ex-client, actually. A similar situation, but not. But she'd gone to a coach and they'd said, right, you're under-eating. You need to eat this amount of calories. And that high number just freaked her out completely. Yeah. It freaked her out that much that she just dropped out. She, she just didn't want to do it. Yeah. So I had the benefit of knowing that. So I actually started her on lower calories as such, calories that she was comfortable with. Yeah. Further down the line, once she kind of saw, okay, this isn't going to make me fat, this is actually helping me, then, you know, once that confidence was there and trust, I suppose, we then worked our way up. Yeah, this is it. It's a gradual thing. It's baby steps. Like, as a coach, you can't just dive straight in there and, and put people on a shitload of calories. It's just... You've got to be sensitive with things like that. Um, the amount of calories I'm eating now, God, if, if if you told me back then that I was eating that amount of calories, I would have laughed. Like, there's not a hope in hell I would have thought that I'd eat that amount without without getting fat. And it's nice. It's a lovely feeling. Oh, yeah, I can imagine. So yeah. at what point during the coaching process and I suppose your journey, did you then think, right, I'm going to enter the industry and want to make this a, a job, I suppose? Um, I don't know, to be honest, it must have been, I must have been with Josh at least a year because I was, I was still with him when I started at Pure. So, 
and I was with Josh for a couple of years. So yeah, it must have been about a year into coaching that I thought, you know what, what I what I wanted to do, it wasn't just I didn't want to just be a PT. I wanted to help women overcome what I've what I've achieved. Um, because training changed my life so drastically. I wanted to help other women in, in my position. I wanted to show women that it's okay to eat, it's okay to not be smashing cardio every day. It's okay to be lifting weights. Um, you're not going to get bulky. And the, the the effects it has on your mental health is just huge. It's massive. Like all my clients say that their depression has been lifted or their anxiety or their stress, everything has is, is been so much more improved since training. And that's what I wanted to do. That's why I only train women. It's not a sexist thing. It's I've got more empathy because of, you know, as a woman myself going through that. Yeah, we can relate to each other, which is important thing. I mean, you don't have to be the best coach in the world. If there's that trust and belief in each other from both sides, then, then, then you're unstoppable, really. Yeah, exactly. So in regards to where you're at now personally, just one question I was thinking about. If you was to, I presume you're not in a dieting phase or anything at the moment, you're not in a deficit. If you choose to go into that phase now, how are you mentally with that? Are you, are you yeah. I'm fine uh, or is there a bit of anxiety? I am in a deficit now. Um yeah, which which is cool because I'm I'm okay doing that. I don't freak out. I'm I'm in a slight deficit now. Um just for the summer because I'm going on holiday and I've been in its in a surplus for a long time now. Um but yeah, it doesn't affect me anymore. But I, I was going to say, it's interesting you say that because when I started with Josh, I wanted to compete. I thought, wow, what an achievement that would be to to be on stage after having an eating disorder. And But it did start to trigger it um, when I had to introduce cardio back into my life and I had to start cutting. It freaked me out. As soon as I got on the treadmill, it made me remember my life back then. And I said to Josh, you know, I can't do this. I've come so far in my recovery. I can't be cutting. I can't be lowering my body fat that amount because it's it's going to trigger something again. So I didn't. So now, I just train to get stronger. That that's my aim mentally and physically. And if I do want to diet down a bit, it doesn't it doesn't affect me anymore. I don't get obsessive over it. I'm absolutely fine. Did that answer your question? Yeah, <laughs> and it's just brought up a couple more as usual. But it's interesting what you say because. Everyone sees these um, fit pros or whatever you want to call them doing shows and they see the end product on stage looking as lean as they've ever felt, or, or sorry, as lean as they've ever looked. They don't realize that a lot of them either have a history of disordered eating and they're using these shows as control. Yes. I used to do, do an old podcast a few years back and we had Amelia Thompson on. And that was something she mentioned that it's just a different way of controlling their life as such, being obsessive with counting calories and their steps and using that show as like the main goal. Yeah. Or doing that process has caused disorder. Yeah, it's dangerous. And and like I say, on, on Instagram you don't you don't really see any of that. And then add on top, you're being judged. You're going on stage and being judged by how you look. Yeah, by your body fat amount and how much muscle you've got. It's really dangerous. 
So in your head, you're being told you look amazing. You're in the best shape of your life as such. And then you've got a judge saying, well, you're in 10th position because you don't look good enough. How, how are you, how, if people don't realize that and how are they going to respond to that? Especially if you've got a history of an eating disorder. Yeah, it's, yeah, that, that's why I freaked out. I'm not, I'm not going to, yeah, I couldn't do that. Fair play and it doesn't affect them like i've got a lot of respect for that but yeah not it's not for me cool so anyone listening to this in your position or a similar position what advice would you give get help get help um accept that you need support open up to somebody whether that's a gp or a friend make that first step that as soon as you, you make that first step of admitting that you've got a problem or admitting that you might have a problem, you might not have it. But even if you suspect that, that you might have it, talk to somebody. Don't hide it because it, it can just become a lifestyle. It, it'll become a habit. You'll become used to it and you'll accept that that's just your life. And that's when you're in the dangerous downhill um, spiral the way I was for six years because I just accepted it. So talk to somebody don't think that a gp is going to judge you or not help you because they do take things seriously nowadays they really really do it kills so many people every single year eating disorders so the sooner you talk to somebody about it the better and and accept medication accept professional help there is no shame in that and this is for men as well men go through this it's not just a, a female thing so yeah perfect right we're gonna end on two questions how okay. How do you feel about that part of your life now? Feel really, it, it feels really bizarre. Like I forget about it until I look at photographs. Like if I look at my transformation photos on Insta, I think, Jesus. Um, Cause there's one photo where you can see my ribs. I think it was um, on holiday with, with my ex. And I remember saying to him, do I look fat? And I look at that photo now and you, you could see my ribs and, and everything. And I think that's just fucking crazy. Um, so yeah, it was a crazy part of my life, but you know what? I'm so glad I went through it because it's made me stronger and it's, it's made me help people the way I help them today. I, I don't think I'd be a coach now if I hadn't gone through that. And I love that because I love helping people. Brilliant. So final question, how is life now? How do you feel now? Yeah, I feel really good. Um, I feel really good. I feel really healthy. Um, I love my business. I love my clients. Yeah, everything's going really, really well. Um, you know, I'm doing the best I, I ever did in my 20s. It was a mess. And now I'm 39 now and things are just getting better and better. So, yeah, it's good. Long night continue. So if people want to find you, um, probably Instagram is the best place, is it? What's your Instagram handle? It's coaching with Abby. Abby is A-B-I um, and underscore. Perfect. Abby, thank you very much. You're welcome.